Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I'm joined by my good friend, Stephen Coyle. He is a senior director at CJ Affiliate, which is a publicist group company. You might also recognize him from episode 22, which was Dina and Friends Unplugged, where we talked about being in tech and how tech affects our lives. Now, on this episode, Stephen talks about his role in ad tech. And so our discussion includes what actually happens when it comes to ad tech, how basically the internet is stalking our lives, as well as we learn more about his career journey. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, make sure to rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast today. And also, make sure you share the podcast episode with a friend. Now, before we jump into the episode, I also want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the Black Professionals in Tech Network. BPTN started by connecting Black tech professionals to each other and creating a happening community that is focused on growth. Black Professionals in Tech has a summit coming up in Toronto, Canada called Be Future, and it's taking place on October 19th through the 21st. The summit is attended by 20,000 plus black professionals from all around the world, features over 100 speakers and 60 plus corporate partners, and they're all coming together in Toronto. So the Be Future Global Tech Summit is the moment for the global black tech community to come together. If you're interested in attending the summit, go to obsidi.com and check out the agenda speakers and grab your ticket today. All right, those are all my announcements and let's go ahead and jump into the episode. So let's get it. everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm joined by my good friend Stephen Coyle. Hey Stephen. Hey Dina. Now Stephen you were on the Friends episode whereas me you and a couple others but now we're doing your solo episode so briefly introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah absolutely. Hey everyone I'm Stephen Coyle. I work as a senior director at a company called CJ or CJ Affiliate. It's within the ad tech space. So we are an affiliate marketing company. So focus on performance. My essential role at CJ is to really be a liaison between clients and our business as a software, as a technology. So I work to ensure cohesion between our solutions and our clients' goals, while also directing the day-to-day strategy and long-term strategy of their marketing efforts. So Stephen, how did you get into this role? Like, I wouldn't know to just go apply for this job. <laughs> <Did it. laughs> and, you know, I really see that as it relates to diversity, which I'm sure we're going to get to much mm-hmm. later. But in terms of my particular area of marketing, which is affiliate, it's not something that is taught in school. So when you go to school for marketing, you probably have lots of business classes. You take advertising, take analytics take like customer journey and things like that, but you don't take a class solely focused around affiliate. And really the only difference between my quote unquote channel, that's, you know, marketing lingo, is we focus on a performance. So it's action-based. So everything that we do, a customer must buy something from a client 
for us to get paid or for the website that is advertising that company get paid. So lots of influencer stuff. That's a real good common way to look at it. Like an influencer pays Kylie Jenner to promote some lipstick. (laughs) Well, probably not because she has her own, but you know, they pay her to promote the Slim Tea Tummy mix. So she gets paid and she also gets a commission for every sale that she delivers directly from that advertisement. Most advertisement is paid either on like a click basis or on an impression basis. So an impression just means you look at it. So you watch a commercial on TV. They are paying the network based on the number of people who see it. I would only pay the network if you went out and bought something based on what you saw. And then in terms of getting into just general advertising, a lot of people find themselves in different areas because marketing is a really large umbrella term. I like to think about the marketing piece as the more business side of it. So we're more focused on margin. We're more focused on moving volume, categories, competitive nature, just general trends around the internet. Then advertisement is much more focused on the packaging of it, the branding of it all. They want to promote it, not necessarily drive action. And that's really the core difference. So a lot of people find themselves, especially recently coming out of college, they find themselves in a more social advertising role where they're doing content for social networks, with, you know, like whether that's for the network itself or the individual brands, and they're really trying to drive engagement. If you fall into the influencer side, that could lend you more to getting within the affiliate space. But ultimately, everything's working together. So you have to sort of find what like really works and speak to you. For instance, we do a, a lot around data. I'm not writing copy. I'm not doing pretty commercials and picking out colors and working with the designer. I I have done that, but that's not what we do. And so if you're leaning more in that space, you may find yourself more at a traditional agency versus at an ad tech company that has a platform for advertisers to use to then promote their business. I want to touch on the affiliate marketing piece because I know Mm -hmm. the Instagram girlies are going wild. Like, oh my gosh, I can make a bunch of money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I want you to break it down for me how affiliate marketing is really working. And the reason I want you to break this down is, you know, the influencers, they think you could quit your day job and do this and get like a million dollars. And it doesn't quite work that way. And I think we're learning that now. But Mm -hmm. let's just break it down for the folks so that they actually fully understand, hey, keep that day job until you actually get a big check. So everything you're doing is being tracked naturally, definitely in the space of social and influencers. They have a large value as it relates to customers deciding what they're going to buy. There's so many options. You know, it's not just... I need to get the proper moisturizer from my skincare routine because there's 18 million different options. And so you look to people that you trust, which in today's age of the internet is a lot of influencers and a lot of content-focused sites. So people that break down stuff, they review stuff, they give their own personal testimony. So when you're doing Mm -hmm. that research and trying to figure out what you should put your dollars behind, and so there's two ways to make money. There are the influencers who have the reach. It's a mix of reach Mm. and engagement, but reach is really like the first step, right? You need to have a ton of followers to justify big brands putting what they would classify as flat media dollars behind you. So flat media dollars just means they pay you 10 grand 
to make five different posts about their product. How okay. that performs okay. and how it does, it matters in the long run, right? It probably matters if they're going to pay you again to do something down the line. But in theory, okay. if you just make the content, you have fulfilled your contract. That's one side of the money. And then the more directly affiliate piece is what's called cost per acquisition. So you may get a flat fee for the post, but then you also get a kickback slash commission for any directly driven sales that you use. So that's where the ad tech comes in play. So if you're ever reading an article and it's like a product roundup, best gifts for this holiday season. Most likely that article is going to link you to where you can buy it, whether that's Amazon or directly to the direct brand or Big Box, JCPenney, Sears, Macy's, that that type of thing. And so once you click that, you are immediately being tracked. And that's called clicking an affiliate link. Another thing that you can look out for, especially with influencers, is that there are legal laws that require them to disclose that they are getting paid for the content that they have created. And if you make a sale, they will also get paid. So sometimes it's very at the very bottom. Sometimes it's at the top. Sometimes it's just a little hidden disclaimer. But that's another sort of light bulb to say that this is actually an advertisement. It's not truly their unfiltered opinion. They are getting paid to promote this. Now, there are actually people who do promote stuff just because they feel like it, right? So anyone in the world, if you have a reach of any kind, technically, you can sign up to join any affiliate network, including CJ. When you sign up as a publisher, you are agreeing to use our platform to then pull those tracking links that we just talked about. So a normal influencer, if they have a deal or if they don't have a deal, they can join us influencers. They can join different affiliate programs. So let's use Amazon. That's probably not the best example, but it's probably the most known. So Amazon Mm -hmm. has their own affiliate program. So if you join Amazon's affiliate program as a normal influencer or content creator, you can then pull links from Amazon. And every time someone makes a purchase, you get a percent of that sale. Now it's probably low. And that's where your comment about like quitting your day job comes into play because it sounds really nice and shiny, but the highest commission rate that any of my current clients have, and I work with 28 different brands, the highest is Mm -hmm. 8%. And that is for mass media sites. Think like CNET or BuzzFeed or those really big, they have millions of views, millions of clicks a day. And they only go to about 8%. Is it possible for advertisers to go higher? Absolutely. But those are one-off cases and you must prove out that value. Because there's so many people out here, so many influencers, so many websites that advertisers are really going where the value is, where they're going to see the benefit. And so if you can prove that 10% is going to give an advertiser that much more sales, then all for it. But like when you do the math, unless you have a large reach and that reach is highly engaged with you and listens to you, you should definitely keep your day job until you get more consistent brand deals or more long-term campaigns. So brands are always doing these long form sort of influencer campaigns. Gaming is really big right now. Everyone wants to attract gamers. And so like if you are a content creator on Twitch and you know you are streaming your games, you can do something as simple as like become an affiliate for let's say Uber 
And you know, they always have that like join Uber and your first ride is free and then you get $5. Yep. That's an affiliate partnership, <laughs> basically. You are giving them members and they're giving you money because of that. And so you can easily join one of these networks, join some programs and get that residual, like slow stream of income. And if your reach is large enough, it could warrant out an additional revenue stream. But it's very hard for that to be your only one unless you are a full-time influencer, head to toe, you have a manager, you have contracts in place. <laughs> Otherwise, keep your day job. <laughs> so when you become an affiliate, technically you don't have to have the 40K followers because you could be a micro-influencer where you have a couple thousand, but you still, I guess, have decent reach. Do we actually know if there's decent reach anymore with all the social media changes? Yeah, so one of the biggest hurdles is Instagram because you can't link from a post on Instagram. And so Instagram did roll out their own affiliate program and they quickly sunsetted it for whatever reason. It probably wasn't working. It was too complicated. And that has put a lot of content creators in a bad spot, especially the micro-influencers, because you don't just need an Instagram presence, but you sort of need a website too. You need like a blog of some sort. You need somewhere where you are building a community and then you need to be able to monetize that community. And so a lot of people just focus on the building of the community. But if you can't monetize those 1,000 followers, it's without a point. And so the reason the really high follower count, the millions of followers, they get all the deals because it's a wider net. Like even if only 1,000 engage and buy something, that's a wider net than going to one with a thousand followers and only 10 may engage and only maybe five is going to buy something, right? You're cutting your reach down. Mm-hmm. So again, like the name of the game is definitely reach. I mean, it's sort of how you prove that out. It depends on which platform that you're going to use primarily, but we're seeing a lot of that stuff move to TikTok and YouTube because there's ad tech that they allow to integrate with those platforms that allow you to promote different brands and then get confidence for that promotion. There's just so much that goes Mm -hmm. into all this mess now. Mm -hmm. And so to try to depend on this as a source of life, I'm sorry, it couldn't be me. This is too much work now. (laughs) Yeah, it it has to be like it's its own business. And some people look up and some people are able to not only go viral, but maintain that momentum and maintain that level of reach. Like there's very popular... TikTok content creator who did a bunch of videos around Gen Z versus millennials at work. And Mm. he ended up quitting his job and now he does this full time. A recent video that he posted, it was circling around the concept of when you are invited out to a birthday dinner, the person whose birthday it is should be paying for the tab. And actually everyone's like, what the hell? Like, what what do you mean? That makes no sense. And So all it takes is one thing to shy away from your business and your brand that could put you right back where you started because the options are endless. And advertisers know this too about their own product. There's very few products that have a monopoly on the market. You're always competing in some instance, in some area. And so influencers, my advice to them beyond focusing on the core value and reach and building that engagement with your users is to also treat everything you put out like it's a product. You are a business, you have people come to you because they see some value in what you're saying, and you need to be consistent with that. 
when you have a large reach, you can then hide behind vanity metrics. But when you're just starting off, everything counts. Every single thing matters. And if you treat like your business, that's probably the only way to ensure success long-term. But it's a fickle market. It depends on what people identify with, if they trust you, if they believe you. In this day and age, it's very hard to penetrate such a saturated market. But you said it best. It is a fickle market. And see, I don't be trusting that. So (laughs) it would not be the market for me. Technology is transforming faster than ever. Jumping on the action. Whether you're breaking into tech, looking for a new career, or just want to be seen, be all those things and more at Be Future 2022. Join the Black Professionals in Tech Network on October 19th through the 21st in Toronto, Ontario to network with over 20,000 Black tech professionals worldwide and hear over 100 incredible speakers. Come virtually and enjoy all of the tech talks or go VIP in person with an after-party concert by Rick Ross. Go to upcity.com and hit the Get Pass button so you can join the party. Now, let's get back to the episode. But what we don't talk about enough is how stalkerish this ad tech is. (laughs) I think... What people mm-hmm. get concerned about is all the additional tracking that's happening in the back end, right? So I think the most classic one, you are talking to your friend or you were shopping online for, I don't know, boots at Nordstrom. And then you go to a rental website right. like, I don't know, Politico, and you see an ad for some boots. So mm-hmm. what that is, you don't have to click anything for you to be tracked, unfortunately. So the affiliate link is really there to, because what we require in our channel is an affirmative action from the customer to justify a commission back to that publisher. So if you don't click, say you read about those boots on a content site, you don't click the link and you instead, you, mm-hmm. you switch to your phone or you switch to a different browser and you type in the site directly, DSW, for instance, just throwing out, you know, brands and you buy boots. Yeah. That site that you first read about the boots and got you interested in them won't get credit for that sale. Even though they know you visited their, their like site, we require that affirmative action because we care about privacy. But unfortunately, that's not how all the channels work. So when you do see that ad after you did not buy, or even if you did and you see it again, that's called retargeting. So basically, whenever you visit any website, you are cookied. So lots of browsers are moving to this cookie list thing, or they're doing restrictions on what brands and advertisers can track within the cookie because there's something called first party cookies and third party cookies. So a first party cookie means you went to a brand like Macy's and they put a cookie on your journey, basically. So anywhere you go past that, they know and they are going to try to serve you an ad to get you to come back to Macy's and, and like ultimately buy. Um, A third-party cookie Mm -hmm. would be a cookie from a network like myself. So whenever you click an affiliate link, you get dropped a third-party CJ cookie, quote-unquote. And we just use that to then be able to say, you made a sale, and so this publisher gets that commission. We don't use it for anything else. But unfortunately, (laughs) the way that these companies talk to each other 
even if you were to do something like an ad blocker, because they're sort of popular now. So an ad blocker is a, a software you can install that would technically block these brands' abilities to serve you these ads that are personalized, whether it's personalized because you visit a certain site, you read a certain article, you put something in your cart, you bought something in the past, like whatever the case may be for why they're targeting you, this restriction from targeting. But it doesn't block the ad. It only blocks the personalization aspect of it and the targeting aspect. So you will still see ads and that's why a lot of people don't use them because some people want to see the ad, right? Like you want to see the deal, especially if you're going to buy right ps4 you kind of want to see when a ps4 is going to sell right (laughs) um and so a lot of people don't really use it but that would be the only surefire way to like stop that targeting from existing on your individual browser but it doesn't prevent your information from entering the pool so i work with another company our company doesn't do this but their whole job and there's lots of different companies live ramp salesforce that are basically crm platforms which means customer relationship managers and so their whole purpose is to store and track things that you do now it is anonymized so you shouldn't be necessarily worried mm-hmm. about someone who works at LifeRamp being able to type in Dina's name and look at everything you bought over last year. That's not an option because of laws. The government is very strict about that in certain states are even stricter. And so mm-hmm. that's not an option. But what they can do is, so whenever you use your credit card, that is logged you know, to a company, right? So right. it comes through as X, Y, and Z, probably the details of what you bought doesn't get communicated, but the amount, the address, your IP address, the type of credit card that you use, all that stuff, your shipping method, if you pay for shipping, if you didn't, if you use coupon, all that stuff goes into what's called your buyer profile. And so these companies basically sell the ability to brands, say I am a computer brand and I want to sell more monitors. The easiest way to sell monitors is to sell to people who recently bought a computer. So they go to these companies right. and they say, give me a shrub list of everybody who's bought a computer and then let me target them. And then they do that. So that's why you could buy a computer and then start seeing ads for a mouse or a, like a separate keyboard or a curved monitor. Because in your purchase of that using a credit card, so this only saves you if you use cash, technically, <laughs> right? So those conspiracy theorists are kind of true in that sense. Like once it's digital, it's tracked and there's kind of no stopping it. Even if you buy something in store with a credit card and like say you get it shipped to your house, that's all tracked. If you saw a deal online, but you end up buying it in store, that's also tracked because you typically use the same type of cards, right? So we know that this is your computer. We know that you have a second computer Mm -hmm. for work, right? So no matter which computer you actually buy from, we know it's you. So then if you use that same credit card or a variety of of those credit cards, or you give them your email address, and it's an email address that is tied to a purchase you made on, I don't know, ASOS, and they're a part of this sort of network of buyer profiles, all that is used to improve your profile to make the targeting better and more efficient. It is now the point to where we know all your devices and we also can say you're a commuter. Like you 
travel 45 minutes to work every day and you're usually on on your phone for those 40 minutes and we can target you on your phone during that commute with something that that you want to buy there's no stopping it it's actually a benefit to you i know it's creepy especially when it's like stuff on facebook i think the creepiest one of them all is like the ones that are listening to your conversations quote unquote and they're technically not listening or recording conversations. If you have your microphone enabled and you if you get an app's access to said microphone. So the moment you mm-hmm. record a video and put it on Instagram, they have access to your microphone. It could be a, a boomerang with no sound. They still have access to your microphone. And so once that is there, basically they have their network of advertisers that they are serving as on their behalf. And basically they look for trigger words. And then they form you that. A lot of people don't realize that 95% of what you consume on these media sites, whether they're social media or mass media, is advertisement. Mm-hmm. Like even something as simple as you and your friend were talking about maybe going to Denver. The next thing you know, you on TikTok on your Explore page and they're showing you brunch places in Denver, right? <laughs> They're doing yeah. that to entice you to go to Denver. So Denver tourism or Colorado tourism rather is paying some type of social media budget to attract tourists. And so something that's little as that, like even the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, this information could be misinformation. That's an ad. The government is paying Instagram what? to show that so people are not misinformed or they know to look deeper or they try to get vaccinated. Like those, I got vaccinated stickers. Those are all ads. <laughs> like they are all what? ads meant to get more people to get vaccinated. And who's going to tell them it ain't working? You're right. Exactly. Because there's so much misinformation is still out here. Like, girl, it ain't working. Mm-hmm. But I understand what you're saying. But I don't like just listening to this in astonishment because we are literally being stalked by the internet. the internet is stalking me and i don't like it (laughs) well think of it in this way of that the internet entire like the internet's entire purpose is for connectivity it is connecting people worldwide and that is the main point and so when you think about the stalking aspects of the internet it's so widespread that again you sort of can't avoid it and you sort of don't want to because a lot of the stalking is helpful for your life as a person. Sticking with the healthcare side, think about stuff like Medicaid and Medicare. There are people who don't understand their benefits. They don't understand that they can go to the doctor, you know, things like that, that if the internet didn't exist, to connect these brands and governments and politicians and everyone else to these underserved communities, they would never know, right? That literacy will never be there. And so like the tracking is sort of necessary. It's, it's, it feels very capitalism and it feels very creepy. And I think, again, very the only creepy so. thing to me is the recording of, like, not the recording conversation, but the, you know, the listening on conversations and, you know, prompting like words, but mm-hmm. you want to be able to go to Google and type in whatever you want and get results, but you can only do that if they know what you're actually looking for. And they only know that because they stalk you. I just, I don't, I, I understand the benefit now that you've said it this way and explain what the process is. 
I still don't see it as a pro. Like, get out of my business. Like, <laughs> yes. let me come to you. Let me tell you I want some new shoes. That mm. example even reminds me around Christmas time. I think it was two years ago now. I wanted some over-the-knee boots. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it like a pair of boots on passing. Mm-hmm. I saw that pair of boots on every platform I went on from Facebook, Instagram, all of it for like six months Mm -hmm. and i'm just like what is the deal with this and now i know i was just being stalked by the internet yeah yeah you literally showed interest in boots and they said god damn it you're you're gonna see some boots now the problem (laughs) with those with those types of marketing efforts is that they're not always that smart so in the same vein since you have bought said boots you still just saw those ads, mm-hmm. even though you bought the boots. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever bought something from right. somewhere and then seen the ad from that same place for what you bought? It's because they are casting such a wide net. So in terms of targeting, you can target as, again, as simple as one generic key term. So if it's a tourism place, they may target anybody who's not in Denver who is saying Denver, right? Or searching for Denver mm-hmm. or you know, on certain Instagram pages of people skiing and blah, 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 blah. Or they can get smart and get specific and say, I want to focus on people who have a tendency for travel. They travel more than two or three times a year, who is also interested in Denver. Or I can only look at the skiers or only, you know, people who are interested in legal marijuana or like whatever the case may be. Like you can get smart in particular all the way down to income level. How do you know your income? Because you use credit cards. And so again, it is privatized in a way that it would literally be like, I can't even go in and say, I don't talk to people who live in Chicago. Like that's not an option. You can restrict your ad to only show in Chicago, but you can't say mm-hmm. only people in Chicago will see this ad, if that makes sense, or only people with this zip code. All of it is connected, unfortunately, by the internet, which again, is its whole purpose. You can't necessarily move out one piece of it because there's just so many different avenues. Like even if you did have an ad blocker on every device you own, every app yeah. you use, you say, don't track me, all this stuff. The fact that you even have the phone is enough for you to be in the system. You need to buy like a flip phone for you to really <laughs> go quote unquote. I'm like serious, you need to buy a flip phone and never use a computer and only use cash. Don't even use your debit card. That's the only way for you not to be tracked. You have to use cash and with a flip phone. Otherwise, something is being tracked. Even Apple tracks the apps you download. That's being tracked. So they can show you other apps that you may also like so you can download those because you know why? People get paid every time you download an app. Jeez, it never ends. It is never a ruthless ends. cycle. I just, oh, okay. I'm accepting it slowly, but surely. (laughs) Are you registered to vote? Sorry, you are in the system. (laughs) I mean, do you have a driver's license? You're in the system. (laughs) You know, have you ever got any package delivered to you? Period. You are in the system. Like, unless you are using pure cash and you're going in person and you're not giving your email address or your zip code or anything, then you are in the clear. But otherwise, it's like taxes to me. You're never going to wait from taxes. Mm. They're going to be there regardless. 
it doesn't matter. Same thing with the internet. The, the internet is right. not going away, and their ability to track you is not going away. But again, it, it is very private from a standpoint of no one could ever come to you and be like, I'm just going to pull up Dina's profile, and I'm going to see everything there, and that's not the case. It is typically used very smartly, and often you are already in your shopping journey. So sort of rare that these things come about. I mean, I guess technically not because TV is targeted to a certain degree. One of my favorite examples, I used to use BET, but BET just has bad Mm -hmm. commercials, period. Um, (laughs) So I use OWN now. OWN is a really good example. OWN has a certain demographic. It is uh, a Black woman of a certain income bracket of a certain age. Yes. 25 and up. Six figures and mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. you watch own and you watch the commercials, you're gonna see a lot of black women in the commercials. Now they may have black men or a white man, but you're gonna see a lot of black women, lots of mothers, lots of professional women. But if you turn to CPS, <laughs> you're gonna see lots of white families and lots of Cheerio commercials and stuff like that. You turn to own and you're going to see something about hair care and detangler brush, right? You won't see that on CBS because, again, they know you you have this premium internet packet so you can watch own because you want to watch right, own. And you're right. watching own, you know, you're watching Love and Marriage Huntsville, right? So they're, they, <laughs> they know you're watching, so they're going to show you <laughs> what they think you want to see. And ultimately, that just makes a better experience for the customer. You're not sitting through six commercials about suntan lotion because you're a Black woman, right? You're sitting through six commercials about things that you would actually be interested in utilizing within your life. You know, the world runs on capitalism, or at least America does. I won't speak for the whole world. And it is a necessary evil to go from there. But yeah. Next time, just pay attention to the commercial. And sometimes it's not the product. It's like a slight variation it's like the same product, but just a different way they've done the commercial. I think a really good one for women, not to like go there, but like Tampa commercials. Tampa mm-hmm. companies spend more money on advertising than almost any vertical in the country. If you didn't know that, know that. Which is sort of crazy, right? I mean, how many tampons are there? But littered with commercials. And like next time you're watching the commercial, note which channel you're on and note what the model looks like. Or what the person in the commercial is doing. Is she running to work or is she getting ready to go on the date? And you can really start <laughs> to see the trends and what the average viewer of whatever program you're watching tends to look like. It's not always going to be 100%. Right. Naturally, you know, we watch a bunch of stuff. Like I watch so much Bravo, but advertisers think women watch Bravo. They never advertise right. Bravo. You can tell if you watch like Atlanta, you're going to see Katie. Versus commercial, any other housewives that's not a black one, you will not see Kenny's commercial. That's because Kenny bought time mm-hmm. because that's the demographic that fits her product. That makes so much sense now that you say it. Mm-hmm. Now I got to go back and watch the reunion and see what commercials I see. <laughs> I understand the advertising portion and the tech behind it and why all of that needs to happen. But man, I'm still creeped out. I can't help it. You know, the concern comes into play. It's like, how can this be abused? And so typically, it's mostly abused by scammers. So let's take the situation, going back to Housewives, right? Take the situation with Jen Shaw. Jen Shaw was accused and pleaded guilty to selling contact lists. So 
quote unquote lead generation. So it's a different side of marketing. Lead generation is a situation where have you ever gotten a cold spam call? Like someone just called you and they're like, oh, I'm trying to sell you this bullshit. And you're like, how do right. you, you like get my number? That's because somebody sold them your number. You were classified mm-hmm. as a lead, quote unquote, and they sold your information, usually phone number, email, to this separate company, usually it's like a third party outside stuff, similar to like Jen Shaw's company, right? So Jen Shaw was mm-hmm. selling contact lists. The reason that what she did was illegal was she was selling lists for a certain demographic known to buy things that didn't exist. So elderly people mm. who didn't know any better or it's easily talked into stuff, you know, something as simple as like, you know, like the, the Western Union scam. Sometimes it's baffling that oh people God. fall into these scams, but all you really need is the right phone number and the right smooth talker and the right person who doesn't know any better and you take advantage of that. So right. she was curating these lists, basically going to places that had this demographic of the elderly, like if you will, buying their phone numbers and then flipping it and selling it to these scam companies who would then sell them prescriptions and stuff that they didn't need or didn't exist. And so that's how it can be manipulated. But I guarantee you that whatever list that she was able to sell only had one of the two things. They only had the email or they only had the phone number. There's no way that she was selling full record of information because that, I mean, that's just unheard of. It would shock me if she had first name, middle name, last name, address, and all kind of stuff. She probably only had. Yeah. And she probably said, these are people who signed up to certain apparel brands that are catered to like the older audience. I can't think of one. Right. I'm only 32. But, um, you know, there's, <laughs> there's certain brands and she would probably package it as they signed up for a catalog. And only people who come for catalogs these days are typically of a certain age. And that's how she was able to right. sort of hide it as legion and sort of like stand behind that. Oh, I was just giving emails. I was just the phone numbers. But she knew what they will ultimately be used for. And that's where the abuse comes in. It's the actual use of information not the collection of it. And none of these companies that we see ads from, whether it's government or brand focus, they're not trying to upset the Apple cart. They're not trying to make you upset because they want you to buy from them. They don't want you thinking of them as scammy Mm. or creepy or anything of that nature. That's again why the whole fake news thing, that fake news disclaimer is so critical for the government and certain brands because the last thing that they want to be tied to is fake news. They don't want to be seen as the brand that's champion anti-vaccine propaganda because they ultimately want you to just buy from them. They don't care about that other stuff. They don't care if you get the vaccine or not. They just want you to buy the shirt that this influencer is wearing when she got her, I got my COVID vaccine sticker. But it all helps with the perception of it all. And so, yeah, they're not going to abuse their access because then they wouldn't have the access anymore. Oof. Now that we've traumatized my whole soul to make me not want to <laughs> buy anything anymore. I mean, this is all helpful information. And I think we talk about this a lot 
But as you probably heard when these conversations come at hand, since you are basically the expert, I don't think anybody knew all of this. (laughs) I mean, I think people were aware that obviously the tracking piece and like the basics of like, hey, they're tracking me. Here's these ads. But to break it down into great detail like this, I think everyone listening to this episode is going to be very thankful that they're actually learning something about this. So now they can actually speak intelligently to the topic. But before I end our conversation today, I want to go back and touch on how you introduce yourself. So you right now are a senior director for client development, but -hmm. you didn't always start in that role. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention your career path and your career journey, because obviously... How often do you see a senior director at a company that looks like you? I don't even know if you see that right now. So just want <laughs> just want to go and talk through your career path and any tips or advice that you have for my listeners. So let's just start with when you're hiring, you're looking for someone who's coachable. What does that really mean? How do you know someone's coachable? So not everybody has a, a set way of hiring and we do. Mm-hmm. So some of this is going to sound a bit formulated and it's not going to feel that way at most companies, but these are the areas that I would say for your own self-awareness that make sure that you check the boxes because that's what gives off your coachable. So we look at three particular areas. We look at adversity. So your ability to handle problems, and this could be personal problems, Mm. this could be professional problems. When you work with brands or work anywhere, really, stuff happens, shit hits the fan, there's fire drills. I like to joke about some stuff, I was like, this is a dumpster fire. It's fine, (laughs) the meme with the little dog sitting in the fiery house, that's like work life for a lot of people, and not everybody can deal with that. Not everybody can juggle multiple issues at once. And you learn throughout some of the questions that you ask them when you're trying to dig into their ability to handle adversity, how they're able to handle that within your organization, right? Mm -hmm. So the second one is emotional intelligence. That's really focused around how they interact with other people. So it's lots of questions about conflict, Or like, you know, tell us a time that you had an idea about something and people weren't buying it. Like you had to really convince them. Or tell them the time when you had to navigate like a political situation at your college or in your sorority or like whatever the case may be. We try to make it open enough that they don't need a literal work example. Most of them are work examples, but you'd be surprised. And what you're really looking for there is, again, it's like how they react to interpersonal Mm -hmm. people, differences of people? Like, are they able to take a a tough personality and not take it personally? Are they able to separate the business from their lives? And some people can't. Some people get really emotional about stuff. Some people will say, oh my God, I like made this mistake and I stressed about it all night. Those are not the kind of people that you typically see as coachable. They have several layers to work through. They work through their stress management, then their time management, then then they have to actually do the work, right? (laughs) And, you know, those are layers that we don't have time for. And then the last one is intellectual curiosity. So again, it's not about what you know, but how you learn 
and like the type, types of things you are interested in learning. One of my favorite questions that I ask people in interviews is, what's the last thing you taught yourself? And yeah. I've gotten everything from I taught myself how to cook and to this and that to I taught myself how to like DJ. But you can see people who haven't taught themselves anything or don't view what they've recently learned as learnings. And those are not people looking to learn. Those are people who are just Ooh. looking to get a job. They're not, yeah. you know, I work in a particular market. So you can easily say, oh, I read an article in Ad Age about how Taco Bell is, you know, targeting people for their new breakfast. Something like it doesn't need to be revolutionary, right? It can be very simple. Right. Um, or it can be personal. Like it doesn't need to be like work related. But if you don't have an answer, if you can think of anything you taught yourself in the last six months, that tells the interviewer and especially me that you're not really looking to learn. And you could be, but closed mouths don't get fed. And mm. you want whoever you hire to also be a champion for their own career and their own development because you go and do so much as their manager. And so like, if you're not looking to grow your own skills, whether that's, I went and got a certification recently. I never fact check, by the way, right? I'm not going to be like, oh, pull up that certificate, <laughs> you know? So when you don't have an answer, it's even worse because you're not able to bullshit me, right? right. I mean, a part of what we do mm-hmm. when working with clients and managing up, cross and down, it's a little level of bullshit. And so right. if you can even bullshit me on the fly, something as simple as I taught myself how to make, I don't know, uh, pasta by hand then I don't think it's a good fit. And that doesn't tell me that you're coachable. So those will be the three areas that I would say to always fine tune. And think about your answers too and which areas those the question is speaking to, even if it's not evident, bucket it in your mind and then lean into that area. So again, if it feels like they're asking you, tell me a time that you handled a difficult client. Paint the full picture. Mm-hmm show the background work. I love to tell my team, I took algebra in eighth grade for high school credit and I transferred to a different state for high school. So my credit didn't transfer. So in ninth grade, I had to take algebra again. And so I was, I thought I was tough shit. I thought I knew everything, right? And I did, you know, in terms of this class, Mm -hmm. right? And so we had a final. It was the first semester final. And showing your work was worth three points. And the actual correct answer was worth two points. I skipped, like, I don't know, two steps into each of them. Because to me, they were steps you learn when you're first learning this. And I already took a year of it. And six more months, I was like, I don't need to, you know, I know this. Teacher doesn't know this. I got an F on that final. Every answer was correct. But the work was not there. Especially when you work with clients and you're in these interviews, you have to show your work in a way that makes sense. I'm not saying go step by step, but if they ask you how you dealt with a difficult client and you spend the whole conversation explaining the problem, you're not explaining your response. You're not explaining your reaction. You're not saying, I got this email and I had to take a moment and calm down because it created this urgency within me. But once I got it figured out and I got my ducks in a row, I knew to respond with multiple options or blah, 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 or to apologize or like whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. If you don't show that behind the scenes work, they only leave with the end result, which is only one piece of the puzzle for what type of employee you would be. I always tell people, people love a story. 
So whenever you're doing something, you have to make this engaging and talk about all the details. People want to hear that story. So I think you're along the same vein of tell me what you did. Tell me in detail. Make it exciting. Make it a story. (laughs) And what you did, too. Because what they're really looking for, they're not necessarily looking for the end result. They're looking for if you are able to connect the dots. X, Y, and Z happen. This really means ABC. So because of I know that this means ABC, I did whatever the fuck. Again, it's less about what you actually did and more about you being able to understand the full picture Think and view your role holistically, understand the value of what you're bringing, especially if you're doing client work. Something as simple as I have clients who text me pictures of their newborn babies or when they have like a birthday and or they do do something cute. I have zero kids. I don't want kids. I don't. I, I mean, I find a lot of them adorable. So I won't say that, but it's not like I'm asking for this type of thing. And that is a very small right. thing, but it speaks to the relationship that I've built with them, right? I know their kids' names. I know their kids' mm. birthday. I went to them when they were on leave, and I helped make their job easier. So when I'm talking to my leadership about the health of my clients, I use those personal things because it speaks to our connection and our stickiness with that individual client. And again, it's less about the fact that she sent me a picture, but the fact that she thought enough to do that. She has my number. And so when stuff does get real, she's definitely going to hit me up and be like, hey, leadership is saying this about CJ, just FYI, hands down, right. like without a doubt. And so very important because there's also, you know, soft skills versus hard skills. I can teach you hard Ooh, skills. Yes. I can train you on hard skills. It's those soft skills. It's that thinking about it. I can't teach you how to think about something. I can teach you what to do, but I can't teach you how to decode, translate, craft a worthy email, or not be an asshole. We don't have time to teach you how to to be professional. And I think a lot of people sort of enter these spaces, especially in early career situations, thinking like, I either need to know everything or I need, or they're going to teach me everything. And there's that middle ground. Like you need to come with the soft skills because again, the hard skills can be learned. It's it's much more difficult to be like, all right, you sent an email and you didn't say hi to the client. Like that is, who wants to deal with that? (laughs) No, (laughs) you have to have those soft skills there already. And you show that you have those skills by, to your point, be able to articulate a full story, be able to frame it, and again, showing your work, showing your value, and or showing that you understand your work and your value. Exactly. And for people who want to join you in this ad tech world, what <laughs> do they look up, for instance, from a LinkedIn perspective? So be careful in your general search. You have to do a bit of digging because a lot of sales roles are labeled very similar to marketing roles. Reading the description will probably tell you, but I know it's hard out here. So a lot of people are blindly applying or not doing the full research. I would say like, if you are particularly interested in ad tech by itself, definitely look up companies that have some type of ad tech software and make yourself a target list. Or maybe it's just like five companies and then you want to hit up all the companies that are like that. 
ad tech is very broad. You can work for MailChimp, whose whole focus is email and is a platform to build, develop, clean look at emails, measure them, track them, so forth and so on. Or even more broad, like CJ, which is like a network ad tech. So there's multiple avenues and there's multiple avenues within these companies too. I am a marketing mm-hmm. strategist, but our engineering team didn't have any marketing experience. Our product team, we're not looking for, I guess, the same type of individual that I would be in those instances. So I would say from that perspective, it's about, again, identifying where you want to work. Like maybe it's a culture thing. Like think about what's important to you and then find companies that fit that and then target them. In terms of roles, most of the role titles are, are going to be something like account manager. Our folks are called client death managers, but we also have client partnership managers. If you're looking for just general postings, pick an area of marketing that you're interested in and then generally search that. So like I have saved searches for performance marketing because I don't want to just go to another marketing agency. I want it to have the same feel of being performance focused or paid focused, right? Because there's other areas of advertising and marketing are, are not paid focused at all. So that's how I weed it out. You do one of the two things. You start with like a list of companies, like a short list, or you start with a more general area. You don't just start with marketing jobs. You Mm -hmm. get a little bit more particular, but it's still general enough to give you the wealth. And this will tell me if I'm too senior or if the role is just not for me. So some places will require you have certification in certain areas. So like if they want you to have a Google certification for AdWords, you probably know it's like a paid search type of gig. Even though it doesn't Mm -hmm. say that, it's probably some generalized marketing manager. What they really want you to do is own their paid search, right? Or if you see they want you to have HubSpot experience, then that's most likely like a lead generation type of role. And it's probably going to be business to business, not business to consumer. Or that's something else to look for, B2B or B2C experience direct-to-consumer, D2C experience, those type of things, e-commerce experience. There's lots of jargon within the marketing world and use that to your advantage. We're trying to weed out what's an actual role you're interested in and what's just a blanketed generic marketing title that's really a sales role. Because <laughs> it's often that. <laughs> I mean, kudos to people who are in sales, but it's not for me. So yes, be on the lookout for that. And Stephen, you've dropped so many gems about ad tech in general, as well as growing your career, but just want to give you the floor one final time. Anything that we didn't mention today that you want the listeners to hear? I will say if you're interested, I think this is like any market. So you know, I'm going to lump tech into this too, but try to build your own little network. And this isn't to say like you to go and just find a bunch of mentors or find a bunch of sponsors. And for those of you who don't know what a sponsor is, a sponsor is someone within your organization that can vouch for you when you are not at the table. Because often we're not at the table, especially being Black in tech. We are typically not at the table where these decisions are being made or being discussed. And so you want a sponsor to be able to speak for you. And so this does not say that you need to go and find a, a Black VP somewhere, but think about who's in your immediate circle, whether that's friends, you know, college friends, or like a, like acquaintances, or just people you meet throughout your day-to-day work, 
I had a job where I had to work with HubSpot, which is sort of why I mentioned it. And I still have connection with that individual that I worked with at HubSpot. Even though we were similar roles and it's not like she's going to do something for me, but you want that sort of community to be able to help you decipher what's important for you, particularly moving forward and to give you some of that the grass is not always greener type of perspective. Mm. It is very easy, especially when you're early in your career, to be like, what else is out there? I'm sure this company is not as bad as what I'm dealing with. Spoiler alert, most companies are shit. And that's just, <laughs> it's, it's the red tape, it's the bureaucracy, it's the legacy of it all. Oh. Even the new age companies, while they pretend to be like super open and super flexible, they also overwork everybody. And they tell you that you have unlimited PTO, but then they tell you your bonus is tied to it, right? It's like all these gotchas that if you don't have people that you trust to give you the real tea, it's going to be harder for you to make these career decisions for yourself. So I would say, yeah, that's probably my best advice. Definitely take, take advantage of any resource that is being offered to you, even if it turns out to be something stupid and simple. Hopefully throughout that, you're going to make at least one meaningful connection that even if it's not as valuable to you today, it will be in the future or it can be in a certain situation. And what a great note to end on. Stephen, thank you so much for your time today. I know that Anyone listening to this episode just got a lot of information that they can use. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. I had so much fun. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.